my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm, mighty God. Hallelujah. Why don't you just feel like shouting amen today? I really am excited. Uh, I, I would like you to do me a favor real quick. If you would just shift those chairs over there so I've got peripheral view of you. So thank you very much. Trails right here, good. Praise the Lord. I want to say one more time to you that this is your church building. Anytime you want to come pray, anytime you want to come walk around, Frequently we see cars out here and people going through the building. You don't have to come here. You don't have to have an appointment. You don't have to schedule with anybody. If you want to be alone, just find you a corner. And This is your building is what I'm trying to say, all right? This doesn't belong to any individual. This is your church. God's bride, your building. It really is. So please feel welcome. If you don't have access because you don't have a key, then it's probably because you haven't been here long enough for us to get to that point, or you haven't asked me for one. If you've been around and you want a key, just come ask. That's all you have to do is God. Now, things start showing up missing. I mean, smoking. Come on now. Thank you, Lord. All right. Kathy, you could come back over here and snap a picture of this wonderful group over here. The resident photographer, and this, this is what. She inspires the bulletin board back there. So, appreciate that. I am reading today from Gospel of John. Gospel of John. I appreciate if you have a Bible. Go ahead and opening it there. If not, it'll come on the screen behind me. Good to have Sister Crystal home with us. Praise the Lord. Back home with us. That is good. John chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible said, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? You put that in our language, he's saying, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? And verse 6, this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. He's like, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Philip's like, could have been that he was saying it this way, watch, Philip, your eyes open. And Philip said, 200 penny worth of bread isn't enough. It's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One translation said, one year's salary wouldn't buy enough food to feed this group. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, hey, there's a lad here which has five barley loaves, two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about, 
How many does it say? 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. I am taking my text or my title today from verse 9, where the disciples said to Jesus, But what are they among so many? And my title is, Too Little to Make a Difference. What are we going to do, Philip? How are we going to feed all these people in a month? I don't know. If we had a year's salary sitting there, we couldn't buy enough to feed these folks. Jesus said, make the men sit down and let's go to work. But what are they among so many? Just a little bit you bring to the table and there's such a big job ahead of us. I'm not going to let you get me in a hurry today, you nervous people sitting out there, all right? Looking at your watch already. You know, you see them, you ever get on Craigslist and they, People like selling a car, and they either have their finger in front of the license plate or they scribble it, and then they, that's what I'm doing to some of you nervous here. I'm just scribbling, putting my thumb down. Can't see your nervous faces and your watch checking. Too little to make a difference. Bless your name, God, today, and all the people in the house, young and old alike. We thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for hungry hearts, ambitious souls. Encourage minds, and we ask you, God, today that your will, that your word, that your way, Lord, would make a difference in their life today. Help us, God, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill any lust of the flesh. Give you all the praise and glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name. Would you look at somebody and say, just too little to make a difference. God bless you. You may be seated as you desire. If we were asked today of how important a role you and I play in the kingdom of God, most of us would probably say, Brother Tim, we're pretty insignificant on the large scale of things. The reality of it all, of it all is this, that most of us have had enough humbling in life. We've been through enough circumstances that has brought us to our knees, so to speak, that we know better than to walk around thinking we're something special. Brother Rick, I will never forget, 1997, 98, somewhere in that era, Major League Baseball had lost a lot of their fans because of work stoppages and things like that and finances and how much they're paying these guys. And... The mission for Major League Baseball was to bring fans back, not only in the seats and the stadiums, but on television through different media sources. And baseball had this, this thing going on. There was this home run race to try to break Roger Maris's 61 home runs for, for one single season. And Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, was McGuire a Cardinal then or nay? I can't remember. Cardinal? And yeah, of course. And Sosa was the Chicago Cub. Good guy, bad guy. Joking. And the family 
the boys, Sister Herring, myself, we went to spring training that year. And we watched the Cubs-Cardinals game a few times, and it, it, it forever marked my mind, and I'm sure there's reasons, but this is how I translated what went on. Sammy Sosa had just come through the season. Mark McGuire, they were just superstars in the major league world. And during spring training, Sosa would go out the right field line and stand by the fence, and kids by the hundreds would flock to him, and adults would flock to him. They would get him to sign their gloves, their baseball, their T-shirt, their hands. I mean, they were just hungry to get a, get a piece of someone who was changing baseball history. And the boys and I would go down there, and Sammy Sosa, I'm telling you, not because he was a cub, but I witnessed it. He would patiently stand there as long, and even some of his teammates would come down, come on, we've got to get in the dugout. He would sign three more, five more. And he was just interacting with people and friendly. And on the other side, the left field line, there was Mark McGuire doing his shadow swinging and getting his form down and stretching. And a huge line of people, massive crowd behind him waiting. Mr. McGuire, would you please sign my hand? Would you please sign my baseball? Not one time, we went multiple games, that I ever see Mark McGuire turn around and even grace. Am I telling the truth, Brad? We were there. Not one time did I see that man turn around and say, I just don't have time. Please understand, kids. Little six, seven, eight, nine-year-old boys whose baseball was their life. I know you don't get it if you don't like baseball, but to get a Major League Baseball player's autograph, a kid, that's like, whoo, man. Sammy Sosa went, he stayed after games. Mark McGuire disappeared immediately, and I, I'm sure he's a good man. Maybe he's your cousin. I don't know. He's much bigger than me, so don't tell him what I'm saying about him today. But I left that spring training with a brand new opinion of those two men. They both were part of the steroid era. They both were reaping benefits that they may not have naturally reaped if they'd have just done like everybody else. But regardless, Sosa wasn't down there just absorbing it all because I'm in my haven right now. He was friendly to people. He acted like, I don't think I'm any better than you. I'm making millions to chase a ball around a yard. And the other guy was like, I don't have time. That's exactly how he came across. Now, I, I, I'm getting off on stuff tonight. Today I shouldn't. I, I'm sure it must be painful to be hounded by everybody. Sign this. Do that. I'm sure you get sick of it. But that's not the point. You've got to be bigger than the moment is how I viewed it, all right? Those little boys didn't get it. And too many of us, we've all been through so much in life, we know better than to act like that. People might be bothering you. You might be the senior executive on the job. But some little nobody that just has, it's not sinking into them doesn't know why you're acting like you're better than them. But if I were to ask you, what, what role do you play? What significance do you play? Many of us would say humbly, I, I'm, I'm just a pawn on the, on the playing board. After all, God is too busy to be concerned with me. 
Or if I were to ask you this, Brother Tate, why don't you describe God to us today in your own words? Just describe God. If someone out of the blue you're witnessing to said, well, I don't even know about God. Talk to me. Who is he? What's he like? What's his characteristic? What are his mannerisms? What would we say? How would you describe God? Most of us would say, well, God is something like this. He's way out there. And we are only a small grain of sand on his radar. You don't see it, but in my mind, I'm scribbling. I'm covering the license plate right now. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at the same time. And I am not. You and I, we've been through too much. Writers in the scriptures had similar opinions of themselves. Like Job 40, verse 4. Job said, I am vile. King James. I am vile. The word means despicable. It means I'm repulsive. Some of us feel like that in the presence of a holy God. I'm not even, like Peter said, you don't even need to be in my company, God. I'm a sinful man. C.E.V. Job said, who am I to answer you? I don't belong in the same arena with you. The apostle Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Brother Mike, if I said, you describe to me what God is. He's way out there, maybe you'd say. And I'm just something down here like a feather being blown about in the hurricane of life. David thought that. He said, Psalm 39, 5, that every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Brother, when I am my best, David said, it's all vain. Job was so into this comparison that he wrote in chapter 42, verse 6, that I hate myself. I hate myself. Paul went on to say, Romans 7, 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So if you think you're all that in a slice of bread, you're in pretty isolated company. After all, the God of the universe is too busy with stuff like creation, science, the future, government. God's got bigger fish to fry than you and I, right? I mean, that's... Do you dare? Do I dare approach him with meaningless care and pain? I mean, how could God care about the fact that I have a migraine right now? How could God care about the fact that something's going on in your financial world right now you need help with? How could God that's in the head of this nation and controlling societies and trying to manipulate good people and trying to destroy wicked people, Why would he care about me coming to God and say, I got a backache today? 
because of what I'm about to tell you. Throughout the Bible, if you listen at all when you read, you see untold examples of an intimate relationship between the Almighty and human beings. Over and over and over again, you read stories that talk of this personal plot between God and man. That God doesn't view people as maybe we view people. That there's something uniquely touching about how God deals with people. For example, if you take time to read Matthew 18, the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Hey, who's greatest in the kingdom? Maybe Peter thought he was going to say, Oh, well, of course, it's you, man. Maybe Philip thought he was going to say, Hey, you got it, Philip, you're it's you. Jesus would have lost followers instantly if that would have been the case. Jesus looks around and he says, uh, Oh, bring that little child to me right here. I'm in Matthew 18, if you don't believe me. Matthew 18, 1 through 3. In verse 3, he said, he sets the baby up in the midst of, of these creatures, and he says, unless you're converted and become like this little child. Hey, hey, you John 3, 16ers, that everything you got, all you got to do is believe. Let me go this way. Hey, you John 3, 16ers, that believe all you have to do is confess Jesus and you're saved. Jesus said if you're not converted and humble like a little child, you aren't even going to heaven. You're not even going to see it. There's so many biblical examples for your learning of people that we aren't even told their name. Common, everyday people that have an uncommon relationship with God. It's this deep line of communication that's going on constantly between the Lord Jesus Christ and insignificant people. The Bible said this. One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament, Sister Amber, is Mark 12, 37, when it said the common people heard Jesus gladly. Common people. Heard him gladly. I know you didn't ask me, but some of the hardest people to pastor, some of the hardest people to pastor, people been in church all their life or been in church a long time. Hard people to pastor. Not every one of them. But I guarantee you nine pastors out of ten will tell you the most difficult times they have in doing their job is with people that have been around a long time. Good thing we're not live, right? And you have to agree with me today that there are significant players in the biblical field like David and Paul and John and, P and Moses. They seem to be on a different plane than I am. They seem to be on a different plateau than you and I are. But nevertheless, Esther 4.14, Bible said, is there a chance we've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? You, you that maybe other guys would cast aside as you're not very Pentecostal. You're welcome in this man's church. You hear me today? You're welcome here. You are wanted here. 
You are desired here. Because God makes no mistakes. Truth of the matter is this, when we think God is out there and we are nothing, God loves you so much that he knows you so deeper than you even know yourself. He has invested every second of your life getting to know you, your traits, your habits, your lifestyles, your desires. He knows the surprises that come on you. He knows things, how you'll react, you don't even know. And for every man like Ezekiel or Daniel, there's a little boy that we don't even know his name that's going to bring his lunch sack to Jesus and say, I just got a little bread and fish, but I'll give it to you. For every Joseph, there's a Midianite traveler. We're not told who he is. For every Paul, there's a nephew. But here's a plot. He goes and tells the authorities so Paul, Paul's life can be saved, Acts 23. Just a nephew. For every Jeremiah, there's an unnamed potter. It's you and I, though, that make superstars out of names. Guarantee you. Oh, I was going to get quiet in here. Guarantee you. If you go to one of these Long-time Pentecostals in the house today, and you say to them, we're going to, on vacation in September. We're going to go to Louisiana. Guarantee you the first words out of their mouth are going, are you going to Alexandria? I guarantee you that because we make superstars out of names. So quiet in here today. So quiet in here today. You visitors that have been around long enough, or you newer folks, glad you don't get it. You Pentecostals, you get it, and I'm glad you get it. That's not an inside joke. I, I, I'm just saying that we, we think known must be more in touch with God than unknown. We think bigger church must be more anointing than little church. I, I got something to tell you folks today. I got something to tell you. The best kept secrets in the body of Christ are churches you'll never hear about. Pastors, you don't even know their names. But if you walked into the potter's shop, I think everybody's eye would be on the tactician, the skilled craftsman. What's he going to do? But I believe if Jesus walked into the potter's shop, his eye wouldn't be on the name or the man, it'd be on the clay. The eyes of God would be on what is the possibility. What can I make out of something unknown, not popular? There's 
nothing significant about the clay. Nothing even pretty about the clay. Pentecostal will be like, ooh, 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 potter, so-and-so, potter, so-and-so. Jesus is over here saying, give me some of that clay. You, you go over here and get the pastor's autograph, give me the clay. You go ahead and get your photo taken with Potter. Uh, give me the clay today. Ah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little rambunctious right now because I, I know I'm on to something I need to stay on. What, what matters to God is not how popular, but what kind of potential you carry. Not how powerful, but how he can change a simple life. Fix a broken home. And we might go into the potter shop, Brother Joe. Miss the whole point. We might. Because we're so humbled by the bigness of the potter. But we're supposed to learn a lesson. That clay before it gets into the right hands is meaningless. Go ahead and climb the corporate ladder. Meaningless. Go ahead and get gain. Meaningless. Go ahead and accumulate and become Mr. Macho, Mrs. Popular. Meaningless. Until you submit yourself into the hands of the master. See, that's why repentance is so important to your Bible salvation. Repentance is essential. You say, that's not true, Pastor. Well, if you believe the Bible, it is. Because Jesus said, Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 5, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. You have to repent. You have to practice repentance. The lesson learned is this. Until we get off of this kick we're on, The devil wants you to go up that ladder and go up that, into that stratosphere of personal gain. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Eat, drink, and be merry, but make sure your priorities are right with God. The lesson, Brother Lance, we're supposed to learn when we're in the potter's shop is that it's just like anything else when it's laying over there, but when the potter puts personal attention into that hunk of clay. When he goes and says, oh, this is, this is just what I had in mind today. And he starts shaping and working and molding and changing. And the longer it's in the potter's hands, the more beautiful the clay becomes. I'm going to say it again. The longer you are in the hands of the potter, the more useful and beautiful you become. So please do not bother telling me that no one would ever give you a chance on the screen of life concerning kingdom things. Don't tell me you don't matter. Let me tell you something. If you, if you think you really don't matter, then why is the devil messing with you so much? 
Anybody have a struggle occasionally where the enemy just so? It's amazing how things start going wrong on church days, Wednesday night. Someone wants an appointment right now with you. Oh, amazing coincidence. It's Wednesday. If you weren't important to God, the devil wouldn't even mess with you. Talk about diamonds in the rough or gold before the furnace. That's you. I'm not trying to pump you up. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you what the Lord gave me to tell you this week. Check this out. In our text, it was the disciples, the preachers, the ministry, the leadership that said, not enough to take care of the need. It was the disciples that said, the lad's lunch is just not enough. If you don't believe it, by now you may never believe it, but I have tried to stand by what my uncle used to tell me. The, you know, Memphis snowstorms, are they're not completely unheard of, but they're pretty seldom happen. But when we had a snowstorm one day in Memphis there, and I was the youth leader at Uncle Wayne's church, and someone in the little ministerial circle asked the question, we still having church if nobody shows up? He said something like this, well, you are here, right? And I'm here. And he said, what if the one person that normally drives across town to go to church, what if they live next door and they just happen to say, I can't get to my church, but they're going to come in the back of us? What, what are you going to do? We're going to have church. We might be down to 10 people. Oh, the, I wish I could capture and show you the faces of when we had 10 people in service. You okay to say amen? The disciples said, we appreciate your attempt, but it's just not enough. Too many people, so little to give them. Hmm. It's unfortunate when ministry quits on the people. It's unfortunate when preachers say we don't have enough to take care of the people. What are you giving the Lord today? Or what are you not giving the Lord today? See, anything you bring, as insignificant, as small as you might think it is, and it gets into the hands of the potter. can change, it can multiply, it can grow, it can make a difference. But don't tell me you're too little to make a difference. What, what is it God's been telling you to bring to him? Gratitude? Your submission, your humility, your stubbornness? We like that, don't we? I'm just stubborn. It's the way I am. My mama was stubborn. I'm stubborn. Take it or leave it. You believe the Bible, stubbornness is as a sin, rebellion, and iniquity. 1 Samuel 15, 23. 
Witchcraft. Yeah. All right. Disciples said, we don't have enough to feed you. Grocery stores aren't out of toilet paper. Have enough. Matthew 11, 11, the Bible says. There was this greater thing, again, going on in the ministry. Who's greater? Who's more popular? Who's got a bigger church? Who's got a bigger choir? You know, some people join churches because of those factors. And Jesus says, there is none greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet in Jesus' eyes that ever put on shoe leather. None greater. That's, that, you, that's Bible study in and of itself. Compare them to any prophet that you are, you are on a kick about. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Jesus said, mm-mm, John's above him. Well, Mike, I told you what I read in a story the other day about uh, on Nolan Ryan, another baseball analogy, pardon me, but one of the major leaguers that faced him repeatedly said, if there was a league above Major League Baseball, Nolan Ryan would be a shoo-in. He's like a man playing among boys. Anyway... Some people just stand out. And Jesus said, John is the greatest. But I'm glad he didn't leave that there. He said, but he that is least. That's what notwithstanding is. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You, you can stop wasting your time telling me it doesn't matter your place in the kingdom of God. You can stop wasting my time by telling me unless you're preaching, you're not significant. You can stop wasting my time by when you tell me, unless I'm singing or leading worship, I, I, I don't have a place. So wrong. You're wrong. I have it on good authority, Brother Scott, that when we all are before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not going to single me out. He's not going to single any person out. It's going to be like Thanksgiving Day in heaven. Everybody's family. Everybody's loved the same. Everybody's desired the same. No one's above. No one's beneath. Too little to make a difference. No. No. God knows you by name. He knows you personally. What are they among so many? Oh, you just don't know. As long as Jesus is in the crowd, anything's possible. As long as we keep Jesus in the house, anything can happen. 
take examples. I said all the Pentecostal, what we call Pentecostal. Look at them. They, they got, I want to meet with you, Pastor Herring. Save your breath. You might be in heaven, you might be in heaven standing next to Ezekiel. You won't even know the difference. You might be in heaven and Jesus say, Hey John the Baptist, step out of the way. I need to talk to Trace Tom for a moment here. He that is least in the kingdom greater than John. Ah, I'm going to leave you with that today. I feel like you're important to God. Whether or, not, whether or not the pastor calls you, forgive him and pray for him. You're important to God today. You are making a difference because God is on your side this morning. In the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord.